2 Corinthians chapter 5. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hmm. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15 reads, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Let me read that again. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God or for the glory of God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ completes us, compels us, excuse me. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. From this, I'm led to talk about why we do what we do. Why we do what we do. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that when your word goes forth, it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish all that you desire. I thank you that you prosper your word in the things that you send your word to. Thank you for sending your word to us, and thank you for the way that you will prosper your word in our lives. Speak now, Lord, your servants here. Grant a fresh anointing of your spirit that I might minister under your anointing. And through your anointing, yokes will be destroyed and burdens removed. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Why we do what we do. Amen. Of course, when you listen to this subject, it would seem that we're talking about or that we'll focus on the things that we do every day in, in the natural, but pay attention to the message. I'm not necessarily talking about our attitudes or our actions, or our interactions, or our engagements, and so forth, um, because this, this focus in this message is not on the natural, amen? This focus is on the spiritual aspect or aspects of life, and why we do what we do as Christians, as born-again Christians. Listen carefully now. Uh, you'll find yourself on one side or the other. You'll find yourself on the side of a, of a believer who does the things that, that you do because of the things that were pointed out in this message. Or you'll find yourself on the other side that looks at born-again believers and judges and says, well, we shouldn't be saying that or we shouldn't be doing that or we shouldn't be pushing people or we shouldn't be trying to influence people to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, which means that you're on the side of the devil. Man, who doesn't want to see anybody saved, who wants everybody to be lost, who wants everyone to be caught up in the ways of the world, 
And the Bible says that this world is passing away and the lust of the desires thereof. So it says don't love the world. And it's, it's, it's so easy to love what we see with our natural eyes. It's so easy to look at things and, and ask God, why? Why does it have to be this way? You know, if you ever ask God why, and it's okay to ask God why as long as you're submissive to uh, and, and embrace the truth that's revealed in Scripture. But when you begin to ask God why in a rebellious state that you don't want to submit to the will of God and the way of God, uh, you, you line up with, with, with Satan who rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven. So important for us to hear this and for us to understand this. I learned uh, that God does not have to agree with me. No, no. He doesn't have to agree with me. But if I want to be in him, I've got to agree with him. You know, you know God, God is not in a conversation with me to get my agreement. He's not, he's not negotiating with me, you know, you know. He's not in a battle with me. I may be in a battle with him, fighting against him, trying to get him to negotiate and come to terms with me, but God doesn't, he doesn't change. He says, I am the Lord. I change not. He doesn't change because people change. He doesn't change because society changes. And, and, and if we're going to follow him, it's, it's important that we come to grips with those things because there is a result for, there, there is an end for not following the Lord. There is an end. And I don't think that none of us, any of us in here would like to suffer that end. So it's important that we, that we talk about this. Why? Why is it that, that we do what we do? And it's important for those of us who are on the fence uh, to, to make up our minds to, to jump into this thing and, and get in it wholeheartedly because while we're on the fence, we're helping some other people go astray. While we're on the fence, we're not taking opportunities to even plant seeds of truth that may eventually change their lives while we are on the fence, you know. Yeah, so, so, so this message focuses on our motivation in service uh, in God's kingdom. Uh, our motivation for worship, our motivation, you know, for praising God and worshiping God and serving God. What, why do we do what we do? You know, you know, why? Why do we do what we do? It focuses in on the fact that, you know, we should not be religious about our service for God. We shouldn't even be religious when it comes to worship. Amen. Religious meaning that we're, we're doing things out of habit. Yeah. We come out of habit. We, we lift our hands when the praise leaders say lift our hands. We, we, we move when, 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 when the music is, 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 is going uh, in a direction we want it to go in. You know, uh, we, we pay our tithes out of habit or because we want a blessing from the Lord, you know. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why do we do what we do? You know, what is our motivation for, 
for serving God? What is our motivation uh, to live for God in the midst of a, the Bible calls, calls this generation, as it did in the time that it was written, a crooked and a perverse generation of people, you know, uh, people with twisted minds and, 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 and twisted aspirations and uh, twisted thought patterns and twisted ways of life. What is our motivation to live for God uh, in the midst of all of this crookedness? Why not just be just like everybody else and it'd be okay? What's our motivation to live for God? What's our motivation to seek God? What is our motivation for fasting and, and praying? What is our motivation to spread this gospel message? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? What is our motivation to evangelize, to, to go on missions? Why do we do what we do? What motivates us to do these things, you know? Uh, what, what, what is our motivation for winning souls for Christ? This is what this message is about. The Lord, the Lord impressed us in my heart the other day as I reflected on, on this last mission and even reflected on the body of Christ because sometimes when you look at us and especially... You know, when you look at the church in America, uh, and if you've never experienced worship outside of America and Christians outside of America, that, that doesn't phase you at all. But, but I've been doing this for about 30 years, and I, I, I can see the difference in how lackadaisical we are, you know, about God and the things of God, even about faith, you know, because most of us have insurance. So, if we get sick, we're immediately going to go to the doctor. So, you know, faith really doesn't amount to too much. It's when you don't have insurance and you get sick and the only person you have to call on is Jesus. You know, most of us don't know. Our children don't know that. You know, our children don't know getting up, walking to school. No, our children don't know getting up hunger. Most of our children don't don't know facing a day without food uh, to eat. Most of our children don't know that. They don't know what it's like to, as a little child. Uh, 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 Gabe's age to be on the street selling something to try to make money for the family. Most of us don't know anything like that. We protect our children. We put our children in a bubble and we really protect them from the thing. And it's alright to do that. You know, but we don't teach our children to live by faith. And, and, and so when, when trouble comes, many times we don't know what to do because we've never learned to live by faith. You know, and we're not, we're not stirred uh, to really live for God. We come to church, but for the most part, we don't live for God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as, I, as I reflected on the, on the body of Christ, and I'm not saying that we're not Christians. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not judging you from that perspective. I'm not judging the church from that perspective. I'm saying that, that, that there is something that's missing in the translation of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a real follower of Jesus Christ, and being in the church. There's something missing. You know, we, we join the church, uh, but we have a different life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, so, so it, it becomes easy for us to, 
uh, for those of us who come to, to church school, the school of ministry, uh, to pick up our lesson, the book the night before, or either before we leave out of the door and try to skim over the lesson so we know what to talk about, because we've been so busy all week long doing what we want to do that we haven't taken time to sit down. We haven't given God ample time to sit down and study his word. Many people in the church don't have a devotional time, don't have a devotional life, never pick up the Bible and really sit down and read because, you know, it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't translate. We're so busy doing all of these other things. So it becomes easy for us, you know, uh, uh, yeah, 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 to do these things. It's, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that we're okay just like we are. You know, you know, most of us, most people look for the approval of their friends and never look for the approval of God. As long as your friends say you're okay, that's all that matters. But let me tell you something. You got to stop and think, God, do I please you? You know, is my lifestyle pleasing to you? Are my ways, are my actions pleasing to you? Yeah, those people around me, because I'm doing what they do, yet they're, they're automatically going to like me. So easy to fall into that trap. So easy. It's so easy to fall into the trap that they're thinking that we're okay just because we come to worship, just because we pay our tithes or pay God's tithes or don't pay God's tithes or because we sing praise songs, or, or because we preach. It's so easy to think that, that we're okay. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the trap of the appearance of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but don't do the right things in following Christ. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in the praises of men rather than the praises of God. It's so easy to get caught up in the trap of thinking that we're more than we are because of some title or some position that we hold either in the fellowship of believers or in the world. So easy, so easy. You know, I, I, I listen a lot and I pay attention to what people say. Uh, I don't always react to it, but we, I was listening to this, this, this guy uh, in Liberia and, um, and he was teaching, preaching, and he made a comment that didn't sit well with me because he was talking about people in 10 houses, you know, and, and, and the, the, the perspective that he said it from was those people who've made it kind of look down on people in 10 houses. But, but, but <laughs> you can't ever, as a believer, you can't ever get to the point that you think because you live in a brick house that you can look down on somebody who lives in a 10 house. But it's so easy for us to think that we've kind of made it in society, so we're okay. We're okay. You may be okay according to the world's standard, but are you okay according to God's standard? You know, you know, it's easy to be religious. It's easy. It's easy to, to make yourself get up out of the bed on Sunday morning and come to church. And do the religious things, but not be a person of faith. Who trust God every day of your life. And focuses on keeping yourself humble and usable for God every second of every day of your life. 
for this reason. I'm pretty sure the Lord spoke to me. I don't think I was just something I was sitting down thinking. And I haven't been eating late at night, so I wasn't dreaming. Why do you do what you do? Why do we do what we do? Amen. Why do we do what we do? You see, our motives, and this speaks of motive, our motives for following Jesus Christ, our motivation for serving the Lord Jesus Christ, our motivation, our motives for worshiping the Lord has to be right. They have to be rightly placed if we're going to receive the anointing of God upon our lives so that we can make the maximum impact as we go through this world. I don't want to just impact people to be good. I want to impact people to follow Jesus. Are you understanding me? I don't want to impact people just to stop drinking or stop fornicating I want to be able to impact people to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you understanding? Because in the end, if you start being good, you still can die and go to hell. But if you give your life to Jesus, then you can live with him eternally. Are you understanding? What do you do? What you do? What you do? We need God's anointing upon our lives. It's the anointing of God that destroys the yoke. Amen. It's the anointing of God that removes the burden. So we need God's anointing on our lives because we, there may be yokes in our own lives that need to be destroyed, but in ministry we're going to confront people, we're going to meet people who have yokes in their lives that need to be destroyed. They're not going to get free without God's anointing destroying the yokes. We need his anointing. We don't need our wisdom, our our intelligence, our strength, our influence, our mother wit, common sense, any of those things. This is the work of the Holy Ghost. This is spiritual work. Amen? This is God business. Amen? And I said that the way that it needed to be said. This is God business. This is not world business. This is not person business. This is not devil business. This is God business. So we need God's anointing on our lives so that we can make maximum impact in this world. We have an enemy that we're contending with. Oh, yeah, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy He's a diabolical one, very, very diabolical, very diabolical, very tricky. You know, you wonder why he's gotten such inroads in society today because he's so diabolical. He got to people's hearts. Yeah. He got to people's hearts. He got to the point in people's hearts where they start dealing with this from an emotional standpoint. 
and not a faith standpoint. You know, you can read the Old Testament. I'm, I'm going to use this example. Uh, and you know whoever I'm, whoever I'm using this example from, you know I'm using this example from you. And I've asked the same questions. You read the Old Testament and you see how God wiped out all of these people. And then you start asking the question, why would God do that? And you start asking God why, and it doesn't seem like it's right that a loving God, and this is what the world is saying today, why would a loving God allow such suffering to do such things? But, but you got to understand God's plan and God's purposes. And, and we look at it from a human perspective, and God's looking at this like, I created everybody in my own image and my own likeness. So I have a plan and a purpose, and I'm taking, and I'm ch I've chosen Abraham, and I'm calling him out so that I will have a people unto myself, amen, and, 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 and I'll be able to send them back out to evangelize the world and bring everybody into faith in me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the lamb slain from where? From the foundation of the world. God has a plan. And people don't want to fit into God's plan. And so people feel like they are indispensable. They have a right to live. They have a right to do what they want to do. Sometimes, sometimes people fight against God's people, and God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When you start reading the whole story and the children of Israel going into the promised land, and God says, if, if, you, don't, if you don't wipe them all out, then they will be a thorn and a snare to you. So, so you got to wipe them all out. And along the way, some people wouldn't even give them passage. And they had to be dealt with because God accomplishes his purposes. So you come to the day and people say, well, if God would send me to hell because of my lifestyle, then I'll just go to hell. Bye. And I don't say that laughingly, but you think about this. You got to think about this. God has a plan and a purpose. God is a holy God. And God calls us to repentance. God calls us to live for him. And God lays out to us that if we don't accept the provision for salvation, and there is only one way, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. One way. One way. One way. And people don't want to accept Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform their lives and live under God's grace. They get stuck at God being mean and the church being judging and judgmental. And they don't understand why we do what we do. Look at what Paul said. Let me, let me, I don't want to preach long because I'll start going and I'll, We'll be here for longer than I planned for you to be here this morning. But, but, but look at this. This is, this is Paul writing, and, and literally, he's writing to defend his apostleship. 
because there were some people that were fighting against him and saying he wasn't an apostle. And so in this writing to the church at Corinth, you know, he writes to defend his apostleship and also to help the Corinthian believers so that they would understand his, his apostolic ministry. And when people would come in and, and, and try to fight against him, seeing them as being his followers and try to pull them away, they would have an answer. But more so than defending his apostleship, he talks about the ministry, okay? And he talks about, about bringing people to, to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And he, he gets down to the end of this, and he talks about uh, us being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And since we've been reconciled to God, then we, sh- we are ambassadors, and God wants to use us to, re- to bring other people back into a right relationship with him. We are God's ambassadors. But look at what he says. And, and I'm going to pick up on three words, that the, three phrases that the Lord showed me in this passage of Scripture uh, to talk about why we do what we do. But look at what Paul said before I talk about why we do what we do. Uh, he said, uh, we, we're, uh, what chapter are we in? And what verse are we at? Oh, okay. I want to make sure you're following me. Okay. All right. So, so Paul says in verse 11, are you there? He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we do what? We do what? What do we do? What do we do? What is our ministry? To persuade people to do what? To come to God, to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what persuasive speech is? You know, this ministry is not, will you you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord? No, I don't accept you. Okay, thank you. Do you understand persuade? Yeah. So then, so then the, 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 the ministry that the Lord has given to us is not just some casual thing. Paul understands, amen, his ministry and he helps the Corinthian believers see why he is so dedicated to this gospel ministry. I mean, this man, this man, uh, was stoned almost to death. I mean, he had to be let down out of a window to run for his life at another time. I mean, he's gone through all things, shipwrecked, all kinds of things, but he does not give up because he understands the, the, the divine mandate on his life, which is to persuade people that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is Savior and that Jesus is the one who should be followed. How many of us are trying to persuade someone to accept Jesus? And that's the problem with the church. We don't want to persuade people. We don't want to persuade people. We want to let people live their lives the way they want to live their lives. After all, it's their life. No, you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. It's not your life. God has called us to persuade people. So why do I persuade people? This is why I do what I do. That's why we do what we do. We preach persuasively. You're not going to come up in here and shout on my sermons every Sunday. I'm I'm, I'm persuading you. If you want to shout on the sermon, go somewhere else. Let the man pull it. 
Let him tune up and pull it, and you holler and scream and fall out all over the seat. And when you finish hollering and pulling it, you forgot what he said. My job is to persuade you and to take this gospel everywhere God sends me to persuade people that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the one who should be followed. So why? Paul says, knowing the fear of God. I do what I do because I know the fear of God. Uh, One translation said, I think it's the one I read from my Bible, says, knowing the terror of God. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Jesus said, why fear man? Man can only destroy the body. Fear God who can destroy the body and soul and send you to hell at the same time. So, so once we begin to know the terror of God and we begin to respect, fear can mean respect, fear can mean standing awe, fear can mean be afraid. So we have this thing in this generation of no fear. I don't fear anybody. Some of y'all, you don't believe in hell, so you don't fear hell. And I don't want you to accept Jesus so you can't, so, just so you won't go to hell. But if that's a starting point, if that'll open the door for you to the gospel, then get afraid of going to hell. Because hell is a real place. You get there, you can't come back. You can't get there and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Too late then. Like then, Paul said, knowing the fear of God. This man, this man who persecuted Christians, this man who, who, who started out his life as a Pharisee and knew the God, knew the knew the Torah, knew, knew the law, knew the prophets. I mean, from a child, five years old, beginning to learn the, 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 the Torah and the interpretations and, and, and learn the prophets, and then got the revelation of Jesus. said, I know the fear of God. I know the terror of God. So I persuade men. I do what I do. And, and, I'm, and I'm afraid that a lot of people today don't fear God. Don't respect God. I'm not afraid of God. You know, the older people used to teach us things. We thought it was crazy. You know, when it would start storming and lightning, you know what our parents, some of our parents would do? All right, y'all come in the house, sit down, turn the TV off, close all the windows, close all the doors. God is working. You sit down and you be quiet. Now, they might have been kind of off base a little bit, but they were teaching us something. They were teaching us the fear of God, that you respect God. Amen. When God is speaking, then you sit down and be quiet. Now, let's translate that a little bit. How many times do we have to tell children, when adults are talking, you don't talk. You don't interfere. We don't even teach little children respect adults. So if they don't respect the adults that they see, how are they going to learn to respect God? We're not even teaching it anymore. And 
A little girl was here yesterday. I'm, and this is nothing bad, but, you know, I said something to her, and then she put a finger up in, in my face. What, what, but this is what she'd been taught. She following adults, and nobody correct, no, it, it, the house she grew up in, she wasn't corrected. I said, I said, don't ever put your finger up to an adult. But she's not the only one to do it. A little, the te- some teenagers got the nerve to do that. So Seth was in my room one day, came in my room, asked me a question. <laughs> and he said, are you finished? No, I'm not finished. You get yourself up and you sit out. I made him sit on the wall like this. <laughs> Y'all laughing, but you got, you know, we're raised, a lot of our children are much worse than that. At least they was respectful and said it in correct English. <laughs> Think about how your children talk to you. If our children, if we had talked to our parents like that, we would have been wearing dentures at 25, wearing dentures at 15. Knock, slap out. I sucked my teeth at my mama one day. Lord have mercy. When my daddy finished with me, if I ever sucked my teeth, she didn't hear it again. Mama didn't have to do anything. He said, boy, who you sucking your teeth at? And before I knew it, that belt was off. <laughs> and then you know the rest of the story. Respect. Paul said, knowing the fear of God, knowing the terror of God, when I understand that God is a consuming fire, when I understand that God is the one who judges when I understand that God can wipe me out just like that. Respect him. Do what he tells me to do. But it's not just for me. If I say I love you and I don't try to persuade you to come to Jesus, to follow Jesus, I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. I do what I do because I know the fear of God. Now listen, there's another thing he says here. You read on down a little bit further. And, and, and he says, and I picked up on these words in, in verse 13. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it says here, it is for God, or if, it, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. This, another translation says, for if we are out of our minds, it is for God's glory. Okay. Paul is, is just basically here talking about his apostleship and, and how, he's, how he's trying to help the Corinthian believers understand that his boast, he's not boasting so that he can get any glory for himself. He's, he's spent from chapter 2, uh, I think it goes on to chapter 7, talking about his, his apostleship and defending his apostleship. Amen. Because of the, those naysayers and those that are fighting against him. But he's saying to them, all of this is not about me. All of this is for the glory of God. So we do what we do, not for us, not so that we can be lifted up, not so that somebody can talk good about us, but we do it for the glory of God. Are you hearing me? 
We preach this gospel. We engage in ministry. We worship God for his glory. We're here to reverence him. We're here to ascribe unto him the glory that's due his name. We're here to honor him. We're here to exalt his name. We do what we do. I'm not a religious person, but I do what I do for the glory of God. When I wake up in the morning, before I put my feet on the floor, I get my phone and I go to my devotional. It's to help me, but it's for God's glory. Because if I'm helped, God's going to get more glory out of my life. You hear me? It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. Sometimes we just come and we just do anything for the Lord. We just do anything. I don't feel like it today. You come and we sit down and we just look at people. Just look. Sometimes I wonder... If these, some of these same people in the nightclub, would they just be sitting there just looking? Or at the friend's house for a party. Would they be sitting there just looking? You know, get together, a football game. Would they be sitting there just looking? And we forget about God's glory. We forget about God's glory. For his glory. That song says, for his glory, for your glory, I will do anything. What will you do for his glory? For his glory. The one who made a plan for your salvation before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. The one who, after you, when you were saved, sealed you until the day of redemption. Satan can't pluck you out of his hand. What will you do for his glory? What will you, what will you do? What? For his glory. Paul said, we persuade men for the glory of God. Not just because we fear God. But we want God to be glorified. The more souls come into the kingdom, the more God is glorified. So the next time we have an outreach, we'll see more people here. We'll plan it better. We'll win souls for his glory. For his glory. Are you hearing me? For his glory. Next time you get in a situation where you need to talk to somebody about the Lord, you're going to remember for his glory. For his glory. It's not about you. It's not about your fears. Young people said we push them out of that comfort zone. Because it's not about what you're afraid of, because what you're afraid of, you've established that in your mind, or the devil established it in your mind. For his glory. You never know what God is going to do until you step out of the boat. God has no reason to prove himself to you until you're willing to step out of the boat. You can look at the water all day long, 
and be afraid. If I step out, I'm going to sink. Yep, you probably will. But if you see Jesus and say, Lord, if it's you, let me come. Tell me. Command me to come. And Jesus says, come. And you step out and you realize, oh, I didn't sink. For God's glory. So while you're sitting on the inside and you're afraid because you're not thinking about God's glory. You're thinking about yourself. We get all of these resisting these excuses. Somebody's going to close the door in my face. They're not going to believe anyway. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They get tired of Christians coming. You're in your boat. But if you step out for God's glory, God will prove himself to you. Last thing I saw in this passage of Scripture. Paul says, I think it's down at verse 15. Uh, he says, well, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. For the love of Christ compels us. I do what I do. We do what we do because the love of Christ compels us. You know what compel means? Compel means to push you. Compel means to urge you on. The love of Christ won't let you sit still. Now you can resist the Lord. A lot of people resist the Lord. A lot of people resist the Lord. We feel the urging of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to sit down. You can resist him, but his love pushes you. Well, I looked at this thing, and, and, and then I looked at this thing, and I saw two aspects of this thing. God, the, the love of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there is the love that God has for the world. But once I, I, I and, and that love, because Jesus lives in me, amen, his love is going to push me to go and do what he did. But the other side of that is that he has now poured out his love in me by the Holy Spirit. So now, not only am I pushed to get somebody else, but now because he has poured his love out in me, I love him. I love him. And I want to do this. I want to worship him. Paul said, we'll be a fool for Christ. You know, we'll be out of our minds for Christ. Most of us don't want to be out of our minds. We want to be in our insane selves still sane. You know, we, we, we put up this barrier in, in the States. Men don't praise the Lord a lot. You know, we don't show our emotions. Men are supposed to be strong, you know, steel cut, you know. We'll go to the nightclub and dance. Yeah. Especially if there's somebody in the nightclub we're trying to get, a, get their attention. I ain't talking about nobody in here. 
Y'all ain't been to the nightclub. But we come to the house of the Lord, we say, I love the Lord. But then we're, at, we're behind this barrier, and that love of the Lord won't allow us to express ourselves. There's something wrong with that picture. That, that, that I can get free for the devil, but I can't. Ooh, hey. You know. Uh, and even if I don't have the right move, you know, I just can't do something crazy for Jesus. Because we, we built up this wall and this barrier. We say we love the Lord. But we do what we do because we love him. You got to ask yourself, do you really love the Lord? Even in your imperfect love, many times when they say, God, I love you. Then I step back and I say, Lord, I realize it. I don't love you like you love me. Your love is a perfect love. My love is imperfect. But at least I love you. You know my heart. I do what I do because I love the Lord. I go. I preach. I minister to people because I love the Lord. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Could I do more? Yes. But I do what I do because I love the Lord and that love pushes me. How do we say we love the Lord and do nothing? Do nothing but come to church on Sunday and halfway do that. Two Sundays out of the month. Some people one Sunday. We love the Lord. Not because you're working. Love the Lord. How do we love the Lord? And we made it so easy to, to pray together, and we can't even get on a prayer call on Tuesday night. But we love the Lord. How do we say we love the Lord and can't get along with one another? How? How? Who are you not speaking to? do what we do because the love of God compels us. That's why the Bible teaches us that we should forbear with one another in love because the love of God compels us. I have to take you home with me and sit you at my table every day, but I can love you. The people you love from afar, you love them. You need, they need help, you help them. You love them, but you don't have to sit with them every day. There's some other things you need to be doing. There's somebody else that needs your attention. But we love the Lord. We do what we do because his love compels us. Now, if you're not doing anything, there is no fear of God. You don't desire the glory of God, and you're not allowing.